Files Digest. This is episode 88, and on this week's show, we have two featured reviews. We're going to be discussing Judas and the Black Messiah, streaming exclusively on HBO Max, and I think in theaters also. But uh, the other film we're going to be reviewing is In and of Itself, which is on Hulu. So uh, we'll dive into those more a bit later, but first things first, let me introduce my guests. Tom, how's it going, man? It's going good. Another Blazers victory last night. They're in fifth in the West. Things are things are looking <laughs> up for an injury-ridden team. Yeah, I was going to bring that up later, but uh, let's let's come right back to that. Uh, Travis, welcome to the show. How's it going, bud? Hello, hello. Uh, going well. Are you going to be stoked if uh, the Raiders get uh, Russell Wilson? That's not happening. Mm, I've heard rumors. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, they don't have the payroll. They all they gave all their money to John Gruden. Yeah. Game over right there. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Tom, uh, why don't you tell me? I haven't been following uh, basketball like at all. Um, mm. Last I checked was very early in the season, and Blazers were looking uh, like butt based on their record. Uh, mm. Have they turned things around? What's, what's going on? Sort of. I mean, they're just winning despite um being in a bad uh in a bad way personnel wise uh cj's out broken foot i think um nurk is out again with a fractured wrist so they both have fractures and then um uh zach collins has some fractured whatever too i don't even know what's wrong with him uh so yeah i mean three they're Basically, guys two through four on their talent depth uh, list are out. Um, CJ and Nurk should hopefully be back relatively soon, you know, like a month or two maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, Collins is indefinite still, so people are like, maybe maybe by the playoffs he'll be back. But, you know, that's not a lot of if time to integrate somebody it. back into your system. <laughs> Come on, man. Come on. They're, they're going to make it. They're going to make it. Uh, yeah, so they're in fifth right now. Um, Damien's putting up MVP numbers again, and um, I don't know how they do it, but they do. What are the actually? I do know how they do doing? it. They've got a, they've got some crazy ass players that come off the bench and just like overperform. Basically, Gary Trent Jr. I mean, this dude is an animal. I love that. <laughs> I love him. He's he's insane. But I was hearing, I was listening to somebody talk about the Blazers, and they're like, they field just the most. There's no player on that team, aside from like Damian Lillard, that they put out there that isn't deeply flawed in one way or another, and yet somehow <laughs> they still manage to win. Like Carmelo Anthony is out there, like scoring 20 for them on a regular basis. He can't play defense at all. Uh, same with their center, Enos Cantor. But I think they have the 28th worst defense in the league out of 30 teams. <laughs> <laughs> 
So yeah, I don't, I don't know, man. They just uh, they're making it happen. So do, does Melo just like hang out near the half court line when they're on defense and just wait for the other team to score so he can go back on offense? <laughs> no, he he does this crazy thing that he started last year. It's real. I mean, maybe he started earlier, but he goes up for swats, but he doesn't meet them at the top, you know, and try and swat the ball. He just. He, it looks like he's trying to hit them in the head without hitting them in the head. You know, his arm just comes flying out, skims the top of their head. And in the process of it, he knocks the ball out of their hand before they've even like raised it up. He's just swatting at it really, really early. It's uh, it's super funny looking, but uh, <laughs> he has made it extremely effective. It's like the most old man move you've ever seen. It's hilarious. <laughs> nice. Sounds rad. <laughs> yeah, it is rad. Um, but yeah, other than that, people just go around him. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. So Tom, uh, tell me real quick, what's up with the Mavericks? Why are they struggling? Mm, why are the Mavericks struggling? That's a good question. Um, effort, uh, some, <laughs> some fit issues. They've got, um, let's see, who did they let go? I think they lost a little bit of shooting this year. They've had some injury issues and some COVID issues. Um, Luca is really, really, really good, but he did come back out of shape um, to start the season, so that wasn't great. How embarrassing! I know. Everyone was pretty embarrassing. So much shit for it online. <laughs> but I mean, he's he's amazing. It, he almost won the game last night on a buzzer beater that just rattled out. Uh, and he had like 40 or something. So I don't know. Still they got to they gotta figure some out. I, I think their defense is bad too. <laughs> well, well, what about, what about you, Travis? Anything, uh, anything to report? What's been going on? Oh, not much. You know, just the, uh, the huge celebrated mm-hmm. Valentine's day yesterday, but as you all know, nothing too exciting going on. So, mm-hmm. Just kind of sat around at home and uh, made some yummy food for each other and enjoyed each other's company. Mm. <laughs> Very cool. <laughs> any uh, any snow-related activities this weekend, Travis? Uh, we went out back for like maybe 10 minutes, and then I was mm-hmm. over it. Mm. The snow was a little too powdery to do a snowball, and that just kind of killed my enjoyment of wanting to uh, play outside in it. <laughs> so mm. I, uh, yeah, was quickly bored with the uh, activity. Also, it's miserable out there. It's so cold, you know? Yeah, it's a little cold. But, I mean, it, I was glad we got snow and I didn't have to deal with it. Just got to enjoy it from the uh, comfort of inside. Mm-hmm. It looks really pretty. Um, we got plenty of it. But it's... Uh, Mostly all melted away by now because of the rain. I'm so jealous. I, I, I The other day I went on a walk to the gas station to get some cigarettes. And by the time I got back, I was drenched in sweat because it was like 84 <laughs> degrees out. <laughs> this was like yeah. right when the snow was, was hitting uh, in Washington. And I was looking at all these Instagram posts of like people frolicking and people putting out like cans of beer to like measure how deep the snow was. And here I am just like sweating my balls off looking at palm trees and 
like I literally soaked my headphones because I was listening to a podcast and I like pulled them off and they created like suction around my ears from the sweat and it was gnarly and I hate it. I hate it. <laughs> Your state's gross, dude. I know. You don't have to tell me. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's it's kind of nice not being super cold, you know, like the the warmth is good in that regard, but... God, I, I want some snow. I love the snow. I gotta move to fucking Chicago or something next. And then learn to hate the snow. You know what I mean? <laughs> and the summer. <laughs> I wouldn't go to Chicago. Don't they have sort of like the worst of both worlds? Yeah. I, I, I was in Chicago in September, so it wasn't too bad. But yeah, I've heard like June, July. Ugh. I don't know who has the best four seasons all around is it like colorado or something mm, you know distinct fall winter spring and summer oh that's probably the northeast dude that's probably like vermont yeah it's but... got pretty good seasons uh, uh, fall is they're distinct yeah. no yeah, we have but... like a nine month winter and then a month and a half of summer I don't know if I'd call it nine months of winter, but I hear what you're saying. <laughs> it's nine months of gray, whatever you it want to sure call it. Is. It's six months of winter, five months of spring, and then one month of summer. The best thing about the Northwest <laughs> is that there is no humidity. Yes, and I did not appreciate that until <laughs> I moved to the fucking... Amazon jungle of the United States. <laughs> it is brutal. Cool, cool. All right. Well, let's say we get into our first review. How about it? Let's do That's it. what we're here for. Hell yeah. All right. Well, we're going to kick things off with our review of Judas and the Black Messiah. We have a clip. Let's go ahead and listen in. Well, they might think it's easy to throw out to white trash. But they better fucking burn it. You're Fred Hampton. You must be the preacher, man. Well, I'm a fanny off paper. Funnies, especially. My flag is some motherfucking bullshit, comrade. Take it easy, comrade. It's just up there to remind us of our southern heritage. When I look at that, I don't see no flag hanging. I see my uncle hanging from a tree. And a bunch of white devils like y'all smiling around his hey, who body. who the fuck you think you're talking to? Well, hey, cool it. Cool it. In our house. Hey, cool it. All right. So Judas and the Black Messiah is directed by Shaka King. Plot synopsis reads, The story of Fred Hampton, chairman of the Illinois Black Panther Party, and his fateful betrayal by FBI informant William O'Neill. Film stars Daniel Kaluuya, Lakeith Stanfield, Jesse Plemons, and Dominique Fishback. Who wants to go first on Judas and the Black Messiah? Any takers? Um, I can go first, I guess. Um... I like the movie. I thought it was a really good story. Uh, this was one I had not heard before. Um, I didn't think it was like, I didn't think it was an, a, as effective movie as it was a story, mm -hmm. basically, as uh, kind of the bottom line of it. 
Um, I thought the performances were good and thought the music was almost good. And then, um, well, I mean, it was good, but I thought it was almost great. And then uh, my only other comment right off the bat is I found it very difficult to make out the words. Um, Sarah and I, I, I think I told you guys, I got a soundbar um, for the first time, and we've kind of always had trouble with the uh, the dialogue since getting it, and then this movie was just uh, way worse. So we even tried going back to TV volume for a little bit, and then I turned true volume off on my soundbar, which I think helped, and also we ended up using subtitles. Hmm. Hmm. I... I didn't have an issue with the audio or the uh, speaking parts, making out what they were saying. It sounds like it might be an issue with your soundbar or the settings within your soundbar. It sounds like I had it set to dialogue. And then, like I said, after I turned off true volume, I don't know if that's a common term or if that's just a Vizio thing. But it's it's basically like, you know, make a gunshot, not actually make you jump out of your couch you know uh and i think maybe that was muddling things so that helped i think a it's bit kind of like an equalizer type setting yeah 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 so i think that helped with the clarity a little bit it's hard to say because sarah was so frustrated that we just turned on the subtitles i would have i would have tried listening for a while longer without the subtitles to see if i was having a better time be, from being able to read it or if the audio was actually just clear but you know, there's some accents going on. Daniel Kaluuya in particular, I thought was hard to make out. Yeah, we can get into it more, but his, his <laughs> accent is a little spotty. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes it seems like he's putting on an accent. and I mean, he's always putting on an accent because he's British, right? But right. he like kind of moves in and out of just a straight American accent and like how we usually hear his speaking voice and then trying to emulate... Fred Hampton, like he's really good in it, I think. But I do, I did find his accent a little, <laughs> a little spotty. Um, but before we move on from the subtitle thing, um, have you watched HBO Max with subtitles before? Because I fucking I hate the subtitles on HBO Max. Did you have any feelings on the subtitles? They're like huge and and they, black they're background. Too big. They're too big, and they they tell me more than I need to know. Like I. I guess it makes sense if you're if you're actually deaf, but I don't need to know that there's like intense music playing. I just need to know the words. Right, right. The HBO Max does the um, closed uh, captioning. Well, no, not just that. Like, on, you know how on some Blu-rays they'll have English subtitles and then English SDH. I think is the acronym. It's basically for like deaf and hard of hearing that has like descriptors. Mm. Um, HBO Max does the descriptor, so it's not just like straight dialogue, you know. Whereas I think Netflix just does, or at least oftentimes gives you the option for just straight up subtitles. Yeah, does does HBO Max have some sort of subtitle settings? Because I know I think uh-huh. Amazon Prime does, where you can choose like the font like, and the size and shit. Yeah, yeah. Which all services should provide that i didn't <laughs> even yeah i agree that would be dope if that was a, <laughs> a bit more uh standard across platforms um but i didn't even notice uh, tom maybe you can speak to this i didn't even know how to turn on the subtitles i ended up doing it through my tv like i go to yeah. my tv was it the same thing for you yeah well now 
now you're reminding me. I just turned it on through my TV, so I don't. I have. I don't know. I haven't even looked. Probably you have to do it through your TV if you weren't able to figure it out. Yeah, because I hadn't noticed, or maybe I just haven't been paying attention. But anyway, I I usually watch things with subtitles nowadays because of Haley. But this time I like turned it off. But I I didn't really have an issue with them. I don't remember there being a black background for the words. Like I don't remember not being able to see through them. It was just there were too many of them. (laughs) (laughs) I just need the words. Yeah. Um, Okay. Well, here, I can go next. So I thought the movie was very well done. Like, it was executed well. I think it is an effective, like, as a movie, I think it's really effective. As, you know, like, Tom, you were alluding to the fact that it's it's got a solid story. As, like, a crime drama film, I think it is done well. I just can't help but feel like it was a little, I don't know. It, it focused too much on the, like, FBI, like, government aspect of it as opposed to Fred Hampton and the man himself and his politics. Like, they very much kind of water down that man in the portrayal in this film. Like, he was... He, I think he identified, if I'm not mistaken, he identified himself as a revolutionary socialist, like Che Guevara. And he basically, like he name drops Che Guevara, like he says a quote, and he mentions socialism once. But for the most part, when he's talking about, you know, the Black Panther Party and what they, what their goals are, what they want to do, it's, it's pretty... Uh, mainstream like revolution of the people kind of rhetoric. It's and, unclear what yeah, exactly they want. They really don't kind of nail down the the politics of the moment and of the Black Panther Party. What I did appreciate was that uh, up until maybe the past five to ten years, the Black Panther Party, at least in film, was very much portrayed as like hyper militant like kind of crazy people and i do think this (laughs) film does a better job of like illustrating the fact that these are people who are fighting for something but they're also compassionate and they care about their community and it was a little bit more of a fleshed out portrait of the black panther party you know as opposed to just like cool cats with their sunglasses and their hats like looking menacing at some you know the fashion rally or in something. this movie is great great fashion <laughs> for sure i was all about it <laughs> so and i also think that framing the film through like he stanfield's character kind of mm, i i didn't love that because he, you know, he's he's the Judas spoiler in the <laughs> you kind of get it from the title. Like he's the Judas and Black Messiah is Fred Hampton, Daniel Kaluuya's character. Right. So like the fact I, I think the movie kind of lacks focus in that it, it bounces around a little bit too much. I feel like it would have been better if it just picked a perspective instead of bouncing between um William O'Neill and then bouncing back to Fred Hampton and then some of the side characters and then Jesse Plemons. Like it just felt like they didn't really know which area they wanted to focus. And it felt a little scattered because of that. 
Yeah, I, that was my main gripe with the movie. Um, I still liked it a decent amount, but um, I felt like the movie felt a little incomplete or just maybe lacked focus. Like I liked that they had a bunch of different perspectives and we got to spend a little bit of time with each of them. But then at the same time, it just didn't feel like it went deep enough on any of those. So when I was watching it, it almost felt like part of a TV show, like maybe two episodes of a TV show, like maybe a miniseries. And not that that TV show was bad. It's just we got maybe two episodes of it. And so even though there was like a through line and a complete story, it still felt somewhat incomplete. And um, I don't know if it would have been better if they would have done a more like traditional biopic for Fred Hampton. Um, But yeah, it just, it seemed like it, there just wasn't enough time to flesh everything out. Yeah. I I, I think your point about how it kind of felt like a TV, like a mini series condensed into a feature film makes sense because of the fact like you could see the miniseries doing like four episodes each from a different person's perspective you know like mm-hmm. i think part of the issue and it's most um v- uh, clear with um billy o'neill um lucky sanfield's character i feel like he he's a pretty thin character and he's put in a position where he could have been the most interesting character. And I do think Lakeith Stanfield is the most interesting performance in the film. But I don't know. I, I feel like it didn't do a good enough job of kind of putting us into his headspace. Because I wanted to believe that he felt really conflicted about what he was doing. But most of the time it felt like... I mean... I think the movie wants you to think that there's some complexity to his character, but at the end of the day, he's a fucking rat, right? Like, I don't think the movie did enough to redeem well, him. There's Not like that it was trying to do that, or justifications for his rattiness, but yeah, at the end of the day, like he's still a rat <laughs> for sure. But I, I, I don't think that the movie did a good enough job giving us the other side of that. Because there was a moment where I thought, like, maybe he flipped and he was, like, fully a part of the Black Panther Party and he was not going to be an informant anymore. But then, like, one yeah. scene later, he's, like, at dinner with Jesse Plemons' character, you know? like Right. Yeah, no, I think yeah. they could have done a little bit better job of, I don't know, making that kind of stuff more f- effective. I-, I think it was there, but it was really subtle and... um. I don't know if it, I don't think it's really Lakeith Stanfield's fault for it, but it it didn't really seem like it was ever that clear on screen what he was feeling. Right. Exactly. He, he needed some higher highs and some lower lows. It seemed like. I wonder if they were just like beholden to the source material in a way that you know, like he. It's never really clear like what he does that actually negatively impacts his fellow clansman or not uh not clansman uh <laughs> thinking of black clansman his yeah, fellow uh panthers um uh you know and also never really clear what he does that is so great for them i might be forgetting a scene or two but uh for the most part it's sort of like um 
he gives some information and things would have played out pretty much the way they did anyway. Yeah. His, I guess, except for the final, the final bit, mm -hmm. the very last chapter. Right. The final, maybe like 15, 20 minutes or so of the, of the film. And it, it doesn't really do a very good job of showing like why he rises through the ranks of the Panther so quickly. Like he becomes like head of security in the Illinois chapter you know but it's like we don't really see what his contributions to the black panther party are so that's part of the reason why this kind of seems like there's a disconnect with with him in particular because we see his arc but it just kind of happens presumably off screen you know what i mean like there's not a lot of detail in what he's doing to contribute to the cause like we mostly just see like the information he's feeding to Jesse Plemons character, you know, and I, mm-hmm. I, I think the movie also, at least early on, maybe not early on the first two thirds of the movie, I think you're kind of supposed to Jesse Plemons character. I think you're kind of supposed to empathize with him and like not think he is a piece of shit. Like there's a couple <laughs> moments where he, you know, like he, he says all the right things and he, as the movie goes on, he makes a comment. He's like, see, I told you they're not any different from the clan. It's all hate or whatever. And then you're like, eh, I don't know about that, bud. But, but then there's like a clear turn, like without being too specific. And he just kind of turns into like a, you know, the trope of the, the manipulative shitty fed, you know what I mean? So it's like Mm. kind of some kind of wasted there, but I also wasn't super comfortable with them trying to make him be a relatable, person in the grand scheme of the story you know right well because they also try and frame it at where you get to see both sides of it not even just his character but like the fbi versus the black panthers but right and even though they try and make it somewhat conflicting or subtle you know like what side you're supposed to be on (laughs) or favor or whatever yeah it's i don't know maybe a little lacking in focus um I don't. I feel like the conversation, at least so far, has come across pretty negative. Like I, I, I do want to say I, en- I enjoyed the movie quite a bit. It's just, I think there's a lot, there's a lot of wasted potential there. Like it ended up just being a good introduction to, you know, this era of history and this story. But it kind of, uh, I don't know. Sk- kind of glosses over some of the the muddier details and makes tries to make it a very political movie as apolitical as possible. Does that make sense? <laughs> it is still political, but the true story would have been and and is all about politics and I think this movie kind of tried to take this uh moment in history and kind of make it into a, a gritty kind of crime drama similar to like like The Departed or some shit, you know? Like we've seen plenty of informant movies and for the most part this plays out yeah, but, like that. But like Tom said, it the best thing about it is the story and the story is a true story. So like the actual filmmaking of it is good and um, like I would definitely recommend watching the movie but if you compare this movie to the likes of the departed or like a michael mann movie or even like detroit like there's way better scenes of tension in those movies and i just think those are all better movies than this not saying this is a bad movie um and 
and not to be like insensitive and not to say like this story doesn't matter, but we have gotten a lot of stories like this that are trying to cover the same topics or, you know, have the same sort of like themes and ideas. And so I think that might also just be, you know, wearing a bit for me at least. Um, Mm, I I see what you're saying. Um, But to that point, it like that should be alarming that there are like, there's these stories of, I mean, this movie is essentially about the government using its resources and power to assassinate black leaders. Like it may feel like we've had a lot of this, but that should be like more illuminating than it has ultimately felt rather than being like burnt out on these stories of like black leaders being assassinated by the government. Like it should be like horrifying every time one of these movies comes out and it's just not. You know what I mean? Like the your, your reaction makes sense. There's been a lot of these movies in the past couple of years, but it should we should be having the opposite reaction, right? Like this, like there's not just I mean, there's Martin Luther King, there's Fred Hampton, there's Malcolm X. Like these are people who are essentially state-sponsored assassinations to advance like a white supremacist agenda you know what i mean like it's fucked. yeah i mean i i'm not trying to come off like i'm i'm numb to this or bored of it yeah and i'm not saying you're accusing me of that but <laughs> and it is unfortunate that it's pretty much taken up to this point to tell these stories like you know we've had what 50 years to tell fred hampton's story and we're just now doing it right right like that that's that's a problem in itself mm-hmm. <laughs> but the thing is is that there's been this movement you know I don't know when you want to exactly say when it started, but there's been an influx of stories like this in, say, the last, I don't know, I'll just say five years or so. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I guess as a viewer, like, I guess, yeah, it's just a little unfortunate that we're getting them like all, you know, in succession rather than these stories should be told, I don't know, a a lot sooner, I guess. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, I don't have much more beyond that. Tom, you have any other thoughts on uh, on this one? Mm. I don't know. I mean, I, f- I felt it. Like, I felt this movie as pretty... Um... Now, I don't watch quite as many movies as Travis does. <laughs> 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 but... Uh... It, it was effective it was affecting enough um, for me just in the, just the, by the numbers um, nuts and bolts of the story. Right. For me to feel like, wow, that fucking sucks. Yeah. Um, And I guess the direction and the performances were strong enough to, you know, solicit, more emotion out of me than I would if I just read this as like an article, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I like the movie. I think it was strong. I think it was well done, but, uh, there was just something missing in terms of, I don't know, like style or a stronger perspective on Lakeith's character or something. 
I thought they um, captured the time period pretty well, and there were some uh, cool camera movements, and there's a couple good action sequences as well. Yeah, considering this I mean, is from a non-action really director. Yeah, I don't know what was missing from it for me. Maybe it was Lakeith. Maybe, it, and you know, they kind of end with, um, you know, some footage of the actual person, um, Bill. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's kind of the, that's kind of what he leaves you with. But maybe that did a disservice to the to the movie or something. Yeah, I mean, I think so Lakeith's, ambiguous. Mm-hmm. I think Lakeith Stanfield is somewhat of a subdued actor, and you could even call him an ambiguous actor. <laughs> um, but maybe that's what the the role called for. But I just don't think it was like. I don't know. It was, his performance wasn't that effective on screen, or what he was given didn't really translate on screen to like elicit like a great response. Mm-hmm. And and I think in regards to the style, it's it's one of those movies that feels stylish, but without um, the specific vision of of an artist you know what i mean like you look when we when we talk about a film style you look at people like edgar wright or wes anderson or you know whoever it is who has a style that is distinct this movie feels stylish in that you know it's well composed and there's some camera flourishes and it, it does a good job of of emulating this specific era but it it doesn't feel as I don't know, personal as maybe it should. Does that make sense? Like even something like uh, "Sorry to Bother You," which is another Lakeith Stanfield film. Like that movie feels like something you haven't seen before. And I'm not saying that style has to be something that you've never seen before for it to be worth crediting to someone. But I just I don't know. The style is a little uh, ambiguous. If that makes sense. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you can say the movie has style, but it's hard to pinpoint what one specific thing other than, you know, the camera spins around a couple times and, and it it's well lit. Like I, I, I you know, like articulating the style is uh, a little difficult. It doesn't feel like um, even, even black Klansman, you know, like that movie feels distinctly like a Spike Lee film. And maybe we just need to see more Shaka Khan, Shaka King movies. I guess Shaka Khan, Shaka King movies, because <laughs> um, I think this is uh, Shaka's first feature, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe he's done one. No, other I think film. there's one other one, at least uh, called Newly Weeds. Oh yeah, no, I, I I remember seeing that when I looked at his filmography, but that was quite a while ago. That, yeah, 2013. Yeah. Um, one other, I think one he's other... been uh, big into, or like, done a lot of TV stuff lately. Yeah, I saw some TV credits. Like, I, I know he did a couple episodes of Shrill, um, and some other yeah. stuff too. But um, one last thing I'll mention is I, I do think, as much as I love Daniel Kaluuya and Lakeith Stanfield, I do think s- the severity of the the tragedy is a little lost by casting these men who were like in their late twenties, early thirties to play like teenagers. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. 
Like Fred Hampton was 21 when he was assassinated. That was crazy yeah, when they crazy. said that at the end. <laughs> and Daniel Kaluuya does not look 21, right? Not in real life, not in this movie, not since he was 21. Like he does that fucker does not look 21, right? So I think there's a little bit that's lost in having these like grown ass men play who were essentially children. Like not in a derogatory sense. I mean children in the sense that like these people were barely getting started with their lives when they were getting going through this these struggles. Well, you know, it's and crazy it's to like, think what I was doing at age twenty one, and then have to see what Fred <laughs> right. Hampton's doing at age twenty one. <laughs> right, exactly. I mean, chairman of the Illinois Black Panther Party, like <laughs> that's Whoops. insane. And I, I do think there's a little bit that's lost, not having age appropriate casting in these roles. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think it's a it's a big negative but i do think that there's something lost there having these oh matt that's been men. a problem since the dawn of film so yeah i mean yeah. at least we don't have <laughs> 50 year old men with uh 20 year old love interests as much anymore right like <laughs> so we seem to be mostly beyond that but um i don't know i, no, I definitely had that i get what you're saying because yeah i thought fred hampton was older but then when i made the realization that he was 21 i was it kind of like blew me back a bit because Daniel Kaluuya looks nothing like a 21 year old. Yeah. So. <laughs> you get the sense that he's, ah, he's not that old guys. Come on. <laughs> well, Daniel, yeah, but... <laughs> Daniel Kaluuya is, I think maybe like a year or so older than you, Travis. Uh, Lakeith Stanfield is younger than all of us. Like Lakeith Stanfield hasn't even turned 30 yet. Like he turns 30 in August. I think Kaluuya was born in 1989. I'm I'm older than a little both older than him. These yeah. cats. <laughs> um. Anyway, just a thought I have. But okay. Anything else uh, before we drop stars on this one? No, we've well, talked was... about this movie way too much. <laughs> Settle down. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna. Well, what did you guys think of his performance? Which one? Which one? Daniel Kaluuya. I don't think we really talked about it. It's very. Uh, well, we talked showy. about his accent. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I liked his um big speech. Like uh, two thirds of the way in, his uh, rally speech. No, no, no. no. I, 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 I loved his performance in the movie. I think he's an awesome actor. I, I mean, I loved him in Widows and Get Out and all the other. He had, he definitely had a widow's energy about him in this. Oh movie. yeah, <laughs> yeah. With the cocked head, I was like, okay, wait, hold on. I've seen this exact character before. Yeah. <laughs> He definitely projects uh, strength and and confidence in you know his portrayal of Fred Hampton, which I, I thought that was definitely solid. Just you know his accent was a little yeah. little iffy, but or not. I mean, when it was good, it was good, but he he kind of drifted in and out of it sometimes. But yeah, he was great. I think there were. I think all the performances are great. I think Dom, Dominique uh, Fishback who was kind of underutilized in the film as like the love interest for Fred Hampton. Um, you know, I think that's one of the weaker aspects from a story perspective. Like it's just not given enough time to flesh that out, but she was great in all the scenes she was in. And Jesse Plemons is, you know, doing his thing. He was <laughs> very well cast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There is a, I don't want to spoil it, but there is a really good moment towards the end of the movie with uh, her character on screen. Mm-hmm. Oh, I totally forgot this. One last thing before I move on. Martin Sheen 
with all that fucking makeup on to play J. Edgar Hoover and then doesn't even try to hide the fact that he's Martin Sheen. Like, he doesn't try to talk like J. Edgar Hoover. He just sounds like Martin Sheen with a bunch of makeup on, you know? I did not realize he's supposed to be J. Edgar Hoover. I thought he was just supposed to be some old guy at the top. (laughs) He kind of looks like Nixon. I thought he was supposed to be, you know, like head of the FBI or something. Oh, but not specifically J. Edgar Hoover. No, yeah. no. I I thought he was, I didn't know he was supposed to be a, a president. Yeah, he, he uh, I mean, he's barely in the movie. So he only has a couple scenes, but um, I was definitely like, dude, you're, you're not even trying, Martin. Like, <laughs> give us something. Just because they put makeup on you doesn't mean you just are <laughs> J. Edgar Hoover. Like, give us something, man. Um, okay. Let's 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 drop stars. Um, I went with a four out of five for this one. Four stars. Uh, four stars as well. Wow, synchronicity. We hated it. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty good. Uh, I, everyone should check it out. Even especially if you have no idea who Fred Hampton is. Like, it might not be like a hundred percent historical depiction of Fred Hampton or, you know, even really trying to be a biopic for Fred Hampton. But definitely if you're not familiar with the story, it's, it's pretty fucked up and, and illuminating. And I, I could see this being a movie that they like made high, that they make high school kids watch. You know what I mean? Like um, 10 years from now, because it, it, it does a, a good job of getting most of the facts straight while, you know, being instead of palatable <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> fuck yeah all right <laughs> let's go ahead and move on to our next feature we're going to be talking about in and of itself uh i don't know if i'll find a clip or not but uh let's listen to uh whatever i found when i edited this let's go every secret has a unique weight to it and you can only carry them for so long You think this is a performance. You see a man in a theater. There's an audience. It is difficult to see past what this looks like. You can see it for what it is, or you can imagine what it could be. Before you came in here, there was a wall. Maybe you chose something you feel reflects who you really are in this world the conceptual artist, the teacher. Okay, so in and of itself, full title, Derek Delgadio's in and of itself, uh, is a magic performance art uh, stage film. Uh, oh, you, you had it right till you said film, Matt. <laughs> It's a film. Get over yourself, bud. <laughs> um, let me read the plot synopsis. So, stary- Jesus, storyteller and conceptual magician Derek Delgadio attempts to understand the illusory... Illusory? Illusory? How do you say that illusory. word? Is it illusory? illusory? It sounds weird coming out of my mouth. I really don't know. <laughs> the illusory, like illusion. illusion. You know, you said uh, Messiah earlier, so... I think it's just it's a, a night for Z's. Z's, oh, because I should have said Messiah. 
Mm-hmm. The Messiah. Did I say Messiah or did I really say yeah. that? No, you said you said Messiah. Oh, barf! I, I heard Messiah. But... Yeah, because I said Messiah. <laughs> Tom, got here. Play it back. Well, good thing this is being recorded. I guess we'll uh, we'll find out later. Um, the illusory nature of identity and answer the deceptively simple question: Who am I? Whoa. Killer synopsis. <laughs> uh, I will say this is directed by Frank Oz, who you would know as the director of such films as... Um, wait, didn't Frank Oz... I- I'm looking at his plot synopsis. Or not his plot <laughs> synopsis. Jesus. His IMDb. Uh, I'm on IMDb. It's pronounced synopsis. Synopsis. It's called... <laughs> it's pronounced filmography. <laughs> Wait. Yeah, Muppets take Manhattan. I was going to say the same thing. Incredible. Um, I was confusing <laughs> Frank Oz with whoever. The great and powerful. No, whoever did um, what's that fuck? Shawshank Redemption. Who did that movie? Oh, Frank Darabont. Oh God damn it! That's who I thought this was the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so That's not crazy. the same. Not the same that guy. That is awesome. Uh, Frank Oz <laughs> did The Dark Crystal, Muppets Take Manhattan, Little Shop of Horrors, Bowfinger. What like... about Bob? Stepford Wives? So Man, he's this guy. he's done some bangers too. But when I said Frank Oz, who you would know from, I was going to say Shawshank Redemption, and then I pulled up his list and I was like, uh, where's oh Shawshank? He did The Indian in the Cupboard. <sighs> Man, this guy was on fire in the 80s and 90s. Anyway, so directed by Frank Oz, not who I thought he was, but a man nonetheless. Um, so this is a film, I guess, but you know, it's it's a filmed version of a stage production. So uh, we we learn at the beginning of the film that this uh, particular performance was staged like over five hundred times in New York City. Um, and, you know, we, we can get into the specifics, um, but just general thoughts. I'm curious where you guys landed on this one. How, how did this make you feel? Do you know who you are now? Do you know what you're going to do? How this uh, how this one leave you? Uh, I can go first this time. So, Matt, the way you you didn't really give much of a background when you pitched this, but you we're pretty adamant that we watch it and talk about it on the show. So I was, I was, I was hoping for like a dear Zachary kind of uh, documentary or something like that. Um, not what we got. <laughs> um, and yeah, I don't know if you could really call this a movie or a documentary, but like you said, it's a filmed production. So I guess we can talk about it. <laughs> uh i I liked it but i don't know if i loved it uh there's been a lot of movies that have dealt with identity and who are we um as of late and i feel like i'd just rather watch those movies uh i do feel like as like a stage play or like a just a live performance this is effective and would be something I would be interested in going to see. Um, but just watching a filmed version of it, I felt a little removed f- from the experience. And 
I guess that's better than not experiencing it at all. Um, the part I didn't like about it was it did feel a little bit like a group therapy session. Um, and that kind of just rubbed me the wrong way a little bit. Not that there's anything wrong with that. It's just, I don't know. I try to feel a little too important at times in the whole who am I thing or, you know, like trying to figure out who you are or um, like not being placed inside of a box of what you are. Like I find all that stuff interesting and I kind of struggle or think about that myself. But I don't know if this was like the best representation of that thought or idea. Mm-hmm. Totally. I I agree with you for the most part. I think I was... Let's see, so I I was very moved by this, and not of because, <laughs> of course, Matt was moved by it. It not in the sense that like it made me question like who and who I am or put anything into kind of a new perspective. I it, it's funny that you mentioned Dear Zachary. Like I think part of the reason why that movie is so devastating is because you see the reactions of the people, right? And that's what makes you. S- that's what is so devastating about that film is it just evokes an empathetic reaction in you because you feel for that person. And I think what moved me so much about this you know, performance documentary or whatever you want to call it was seeing how moved the people in the audience were and and just just. It's it's a it's really simple and kind of hokey, right? Like you know, going around the room and it's saying every who you know what everybody had on their card. Like we can elaborate on that later, but there were some moving moments there where people just they feel seen by him, right? They picked a card and he nailed it, and it may just be a simple memory trick, but seeing their reaction, like it kind of cut to the core of a lot of the people in in the the. Um, theater that day right that's what moved me so much yeah but at the same time it does feel a little staged or like inauthentic even though I'm sure it's an authentic experience when you're there at the show but watching a filmed version of it I felt like I was a little removed and it didn't feel as authentic as it should have and this guy had what 550 performances to pull from of course, he's going to get some gold from those, you know. <laughs> I uh, I loved this. I thought it was yeah, incredible. Uh, oh I was very I watches moved. one movie, and uh, uh, I agree with you, Matt. It was like it was the audience interaction that um, that was so moving. I think to me. Um, and I was totally invested. Like I spent some time afterward, mostly cause it was fun trying to figure out, okay, how did he pull off some of this stuff? But in the moment it felt pretty, uh, pretty remarkable. And like, it wasn't obvious to me. I mean, obviously there's some staging, right? Like, you know, yeah. something's going on here to make this work, but it, it was, I was captivated and I was engaged enough to put that to the side and enjoy what was being, um, I guess, shared or the moment that was being created. And I think the one thing, I mean, Travis kind of made a dig about it, but the thing that makes this, uh, 
one thing that is good about this film is that it does actually probably make the whole experience um, at least on par with a live experience because you can get the best of the best <laughs> to highlight. Um, although I doubt they filmed all 552 of the showings or whatever. Maybe they did. I don't know. But I think um, I read that it was like they filmed like uh, 15 to 20 of them, something mm-hmm. like that, in that range, like towards the tail end. Because I mean, that book is uh, the book that it's a, is one of the segments in the in the performance is full. You know, that's a big mm-hmm. ass book, and so I, I think it was towards the tail end of the production, like as it was coming to an end, that right. they decided to uh, to film some of the shows. That's kind of what I was thinking, yeah. and I thought Derek Delgadio was incredible. Like he's got some little mannerisms that got a little bit old, I guess. If I really had to nitpick, I was like, okay, this is, uh, you know, I've seen this a couple times now. But uh, the when he takes you into the card sequence, especially, I was super drawn in. Like the tone of it, the effectiveness of what of the props that they had on stage. Uh, I thought all of that came together really beautifully. Um, yeah, I'm a huge fan. Tom, you just loved anything and everything regarding the Rulatista. <laughs> yeah, I mean the Rulatista was was great. Um, I preferred the the dog wolf. You know, oh yeah, it, it, that, that was really tickling my fancy. Uh, but um, the time uh, between yeah, the, dog and wolf is it right? Yeah, that's it. That's right. <laughs> Well, so the the dog and the wolf thing in particular is pretty interesting because there's a moment towards the end of the performance where he makes a comment about how at this point in the show, you've probably decided whether I'm a dog or a wolf. And to some of you, it's inconceivable that I could be, be both, you know, and that's I think that's what the performance aspect of the production really boils down to because there's a lot of people who have a really negative reaction to this. The main reason being that it feels manipulative or like Travis said, like like group therapy, that it's just uh, not far removed from like uh, those uh, psychics who like talk to your (laughs) dead family members. Like it's just mind tricks. And I do think... I, I get where those people are coming from, but I, you can see where some of this stuff might feel manipulative, but it's, I think that's a strength of the film is that this is a curated performance. Like this is something that he came up with and for him to do that many performances for it to affect that many people for fucking bill gates of all people to show up in this shitty theater in new york city like hated it that. reached <laughs> hated the bill that. gates cameo <laughs> <I loved it. laughs> um it's just it's so impressive that he's able to go out there that many times and have it be i mean obviously not Every night was he like on his game like this, I'm sure, you know, and it it can feel curated because they're pulling the best shit from each of the performances, I'm sure, that were filmed. But it's the fact that that many people could be in awe and moved to tears and just blown away and have such a visceral reaction, like speaks to theater performance. Like I I was reading people giving a shit that um, giving him shit 
for like faking the tears and there's no oh, way it's genuine. On. Like what the fuck do you think what performance you think? artists and yeah. actors do? Like are you an idiot? Like <laughs> That's so stupid. Yeah. I think what I like it's not what my I loved about it for the record is that um, <laughs> no, <I know. laughs> it's all opt in, right? You show up, you pick your own thing, you know, you decide whether you want to sit or stand at the end. Uh, and you know, before you realize exactly what's going to come of it, but still, I mean, there's got to be some level of surprise in in a performance like that to to give to get something out of you that you wouldn't just freely hand over uh, emotionally. Mm-hmm. Totally. Actually, I'm looking at the uh, the um, letterboxed, and it's not just Bill Gates who was in the audience. I didn't recognize some of these people. I, I recognized Larry, Larry Wilmore, but David Blaine, I didn't recognize him. Tim Gunn was in the audience. Oh, dude, David Blaine cried. You don't remember that part? I mean, I'm a huge, a huge <laughs> David Blaine fan, but maybe, maybe you'll remember this when I say it. Um, David Blaine is the guy, Derek stares at him for quite a while, and he says, uh, my brother. Oh, yeah, and the guy he does. Crying. That's right. And yeah. I think, I, I don't think his card said brother i bet it said like a, ma- a magician or something or right? he just knew who he was yeah well i'm, I'm I, I, I got the impression that they are familiar with one another you know yeah. so i think that was more for him and there's another woman um i can't remember her name i wasn't familiar with her but i like saw some article he whispers into a woman's ear she's yeah. like she's like a super famous like artist apparently mm. but you don't even hear what he says to her like mm. um that sequence in particular, though, where he's going around the room and he's saying everybody's thing, that's that's a memory trick, right? Like, the logistics of how they pull it off, I don't know. I mean, he's, he's a goddamn magician. But that's yeah. not what is so impactful about that scene. It's him saying the thing and then seeing the person's reaction to it. Like, the one that got me the most was the guy. It's, it's kind of cheesy, but the guy he stares at... And is like on the verge of tears, and he finally says, "Nobody." Mm-hmm. And the guy just like sits down in his chair, and the camera oh like lingers. God. Like you can tell that that guy's soul got broken in half. <laughs> oh right? my god, like- it's brutal! <laughs> it was brutal. And the, I think it's not just yeah, yeah. The on the nose. Like I get how it's affected. No, it's not but- on the nose, Travis, because the guy picked it for himself. <laughs> yeah, there's that's nothing the thing. fabricated. It's all opt in. It's all like that's really yeah. What but you chose, for them to really like to frame it. For the documentary or whatever you want to call it, like it, it just felt so on the nose. I just feel like that's a real human experience that you just happen to get to see in. But so in many this. people could feel that way and pick that card. Like it just. What What does that? Well, that's not the, that make? That's Somebody not the did point, feel that yeah. way and they did pick the card, and then yeah, they, I know they had a but, real reaction. Yeah, but it just seems like it was. Like, obviously, he's picking that card feeling that way. So then when it's, you know, reacted upon, like... The, yeah, but it's not the on the nose the if the person who is really feeling... it's You can't say that a documentary is on the nose if the guy was like, I felt sad when my, you know, when my best friend died. It's like, well, that was on the nose, don't you think? <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess, like, but if I mean, it really like, happened... I get what you're saying. I, I don't know. It, it feels like an obvious reaction from that guy. Like that that's the point I'm trying to make, I guess, is that of course he felt that way and 
he picked the card. And so when it was like revealed at the end, like it just made sense that he would react that way. I don't know. Yeah, but he's a one guy <laughs> in a crowd of however many, a hundred. And you don't know this guy at all. Oh my god, but, this Delgadio guy played you like a fucking But flea. he <laughs> <laughs> But he basically confesses to feeling like nobody and you feel for him in that moment. He's a stranger, but you're just like, wow, that guy really, you know, feels no feels I, I, unloved, unwanted, unremarkable, you know. I I've, I I've, No, I I I get it. I just I don't feel like it felt that impactful for me and maybe it's because of the whole staging of it that like removed that layer for me but it it didn't like feel like a i don't know like a raw or like a huge like revelation at the end it was just yeah this guy feels that way and we're gonna make a little moment out of it for this documentary. <laughs> Boom. Oh my god, dude! We literally witnessed a murder. That guy's soul left his body in that auditorium, and you were like, "Yeah, I don't really feel anything." Like that guy was vulnerable, and who knows? He might have just picked it as a joke. Like honestly, I could totally exactly. see myself in his position. Maybe, maybe that's why that was so like effective for me. Was I could totally see picking that card as a joke and then you get to the end of this show which is all you about don't identity pick that card as a joke i don't think you pick that card as a joke i think you so could you, why not i i could i would pick that card as a joke especially if there weren't that many that, cards left yeah you would pick that card as a joke but then it would actually hit home later in the revelation or the reveal or whatever you want to call it at the end oh totally i feel like you picked that card but in it, that doesn't make sense though but because not knowing pick- it's going to be on display for everybody. Yeah. You don't know how that card factors into the show when you pick it, you know? Sure. But if you, even if you pick that card jokingly, there's still probably a level of truth to you picking that card. Yeah. E- exactly. So for his reaction to be what it is, like he was clearly like. I'm not saying it's not genuine. I'm just saying it felt a little like forced or. A little too genuine. Not really. I don't know. Yeah, maybe a little too genuine. A little <laughs> too much. <laughs> I don't like looking at losers. I don't right? know. I can't. It mm. just felt like I an obvious can't thing get with you to on happen one, at the end of this documentary. I don't know. Well, I don't want to belabor this like, particular it, point much longer. It but. seemed plausible that that would be a card in a reaction for this type for of that card. Setting. I get, I get yes. what you're saying. Yeah, somebody being called a nobody in a room full of people. Like, yeah, but I don't know that. And then them to make a special moment about him being the nobody. It's like, well, yeah, like that. That's a great moment for the documentary. Let's put that in there. So, are yeah. you saying that you feel like the the documentary is like too like it's taking advantage of people? No, I don't think that. I just don't really feel like it's a documentary or a movie. It's more of like an experience that you need to witness in person. Um, not that I disliked what I got and not that I'm not appreciative of being able to see this performance in the comfort of my own home for for free, essentially. But I don't know. I just don't feel like it really like hit its mark like it could have or should have for me. But that that might say more about me than the documentary. I don't know. <laughs> I, I I get what you're saying. It's, you know, 
I think I'm more so coming from the perspective of I I think it's cool that you get to see all of these people have a moment, you know, and are moved by it. And I didn't I didn't get the feeling that it was manipulative. Like I I think that it comes from a place of good intentions. And I think some people think that it's like manipulative bullshit what this performance is. And I wholeheartedly disagree with that, you know. See, I wouldn't go that far, but I just don't feel like it's as affecting as you guys are making it seem. But obviously this is going to affect people differently. So Mm -hmm. that's why we're having the conversation. (laughs) Yeah. Well, so we we should pivot away from that. I don't want to spend too much more time on on the film, but I did want to talk about how you guys felt about the the letters. Like he pulls – one of the sequences is he pulls the letters. It's addressed to him at the theater, and he has somebody read it. And he's like, something's going to happen that only you were going to see, you know. And it turns out to be a letter from someone they know. And I was, like, full-on crying during that scene. Like, hearing these people read these letters and hearing some of the background story, like, it's – I could definitely see somebody watching that and being like, okay, that's fucked up that they would, like, do this to somebody as part of a, a performance, you know. But I was incredibly moved, and I, I didn't get the impression that any of the people in the segments, at least that we see, felt like they were being taken advantage of in any way, you know? Like, they, if anything, felt grateful for that experience, you know what I mean? I mean, how, how did that particular scene impact you guys? It sounds like Tom probably loved it. Travis was like, eh, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I loved it. The only thing, that one I spent more that one i was a little distracted by because i was trying to figure out how the hell they did it well it's like some I, sort I can of get 90 percent of the way well yeah i mean i can get 90 percent of the way in my head of like how like how they manage it on stage and everything that's fine but how they actually get the letter written that part kind of blows my mind i don't know how they do that um but uh yeah um i thought it was great i sure hope nobody would feel taken advantage of i feel like if you go to a play you know, like a uh, with some audience interaction and stuff, you, you got to be willing to roll with the punches. If you're not, you know, if you're not there to have like that experience, then I don't know. Don't go to the, don't go to the theater, I guess. <laughs> but I could totally see somebody having a reaction where they feel violated, or that they, you know, it could be invasive because your reaction. My reaction would be like, oh, my fucking God, like, this is amazing. But another person's reaction who's maybe a bit more cynical could be like, uh, how do you know, like, you know, how do you know these intimate details about this person? Like, is this a forgery? Did you reach out to my dying dad and have him, you know, like your reaction could very much be one of what the fuck are you doing to me? And obviously we don't see any of that, but. I could see people being feeling like that particular sequence is manipulative. And yeah. I was just curious I, I if mean, you got that too, but I didn't. I guess it's risky, but there's nothing. Um, I mean, they don't write the letter. I think that much is clear. Yeah. Um, so there's nothing manipulative about what the content is. And then they, the person's 
they read the letter uh, to themselves, and then they're asked if they are comfortable sharing it. Right. right. So there's still some control on the on the part of the person on stage over <clears throat> what is revealed and what is not. Yeah, well, for sure. You could you could make the argument that every movie is manipulative. Yeah. Man. <laughs> <laughs> Fair counterpoint. Um, two, so two real quick um, negatives. So I love this thing, but there were a couple things that brought it down for me. Um, Let's hear it. The brick thing I thought was really stupid. Like they literally just had a PA bring the brick <laughs> yeah. to that intersection. You know, like that's stupid. I was like, I it, liked it. The, it, it was. <laughs> Mind blowing. I like the trick aspect of it. Like, <laughs> I like the I think story more, behind the brick. The story behind the brick. I think it's the more the attention good. to detail that I liked. You know, it's like, man, they really, they really fucking did it. They yeah. brought this thing out here. I just, I love magic, and that particular <laughs> trick. I was like, okay, well, they just, they just had it's too easy. Someone go, yeah, yeah. But you know, the story behind the golden brick, I thought, was very emotional and felt sincere. And him stacking the cards and it disappearing worked well. Like, that was all good. But the fact that they have, like, the stinger at the end, right before the credits, of, like, all the people, like, going to where the brick is. Like, oh, my fucking God, there's a brick here. Can you believe it? It's like, yeah, because fucking someone brought the brick there while you were sitting in that auditorium. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I didn't love that. Um, And there were maybe two or three moments where... It felt a little, it really felt like a performance in the try hard sense of like Derek, like there's like a sound, like you hear the gun cock and he's like, what? And he like turns slowly and looks at the stage by and he just kind of stares and waits for something to happen. Like those kind of more theatrical story elements felt a little lame to me, you know, where he's like reacting to timed events that are happening it, it felt a little that stuff felt a little cloying to me um not enough to take me out of it but there were a few times where i was like eh, you're clearly not a trained actor <laughs> you know what i mean like it felt a little try hard those were literally the only negatives i had with the film though Everything that was my one that was really cool. my one nitpick matt when i was saying like some of his reactions on stage that that's what I was talking about. Like oh, yeah. where he sort of like, Oh, you know, I comes out of this reverie and realizes the audience is with him again. Right. Uh, that was the one part I was like, Oh, that was a little not great, but not, not enough to, not enough to bring it down from full five stars for me. Whoa. <laughs> Just throwing that out there. <laughs> well, we, I mean, we can, um, we can move on. Um, Anything else either of you want to mention before? Uh, I mean, Tom just dropped the the five bomb, but before uh, Travis and I drop our stars, any last thoughts on uh, in and of itself? Well, my wife and my mother both saw it and they both cried and they both loved it. Haley also yeah, cried and loved it. <laughs> I watched it by myself and didn't cry and didn't love it. Tom, dude, you should have watched <laughs> it with Chelsea. You would have been crying like a baby. Just emotionally no, just a, vacant. This is a singular experience. Oh, no. no. I have emotions, please. Just a save for more important events. 
<laughs> yeah, Travis saves his emotion for um, jubilation after an apex win. Or uh, exactly. Uh, <laughs> well, that's tough to top. Um. All right. Star ratings. Tom, you already you kind of spoiled yourself. Five. Very nice. Very nice. It's four and a half for me. I I do feel like uh, I'm kind of on Travis's side in that I have a hard time um, viewing this as a film. So I I don't know. I felt weird giving it five stars, and there were a couple things that brought it down for me. So ultimately landed on four and a half, but. Uh, Travis is probably, I'm going to guess he's going to refrain from giving a star rating because he doesn't consider it a film. <laughs> no, <laughs> I'll give a star rating. Um, I, I don't know. I'm like somewhere in the three and a half, four range. I'll go three and a half. I feel like that f- fits my, uh, review more than a four. Mm-hmm. All right. I didn't hate it. I just, it didn't really work for me. Like it is working for some. I would be interested in actually going to the show at some point, though, but definitely not going to make a point to go do it. So, I think it's over. <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's done, bud. You miss your chance. Five hundred fifty performances. He's ago. not going <laughs> to tour the. <laughs> the this US is it. This is yeah. it. I feel like seeing it in person. Seeing it in person would have been amazing. Seeing it in person now that I've seen this, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Having said that, I did watch this twice and was moved both times, but I, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm maybe I'm talking out of my ass because I literally said it was the reaction of the audience members that made it so effective for me. So that's the part that changes every day, right? So I don't know. I did really hate the the celebrity cameos, though. Like, there's just no need for it in the documentary it felt a like, little why, indulgent a little indulgent. why bring attention to famous people being in your crowd when it's supposed to be like this personal intimate experience well i don't know oh kind of there's bill gates oh there's what's, what's illuminating is the fact that bill gates chose leader for uh-huh. his thing right you know it's more it, so what they yes. picked and that they have, I think, I think that they have the same, the same. I wish he would have picked. I am a nobody. That would have been a way better. <laughs> oh, that would have been huge. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> I think, I think, uh, just that they have the same struggles with identity that anybody else does. I think that's what. Oh my! Like we needed a documentary in 2021 to tell us that. Come on, guys! <laughs> like get real. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> I most of them that was my reaction, you know. It's like, whatever, <laughs> you picked that one, but I don't know. Travis, you got to grow a heart, man. Uh, I guess. You're jaded. Um <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Well, that's going to do it for in and of itself. Um let's move on to what we've been watching. Uh Tom, do you got a bounce? Are you hanging for a bit? What's uh where are you at? No, I can hang. Vinny, uh, Vinny's asleep by now. Oh, hell yeah. As of two minutes ago. Um, I watched a couple things. Mm-hmm. Um, I watched the Britney doc on Hulu. This is episodic, right? It's like a miniseries or is it actually a like a movie? I think they're... Uh, I think it's so part I of think, a bigger series. Yes, but I think only one is about Britney. Yeah. So like the times like has it's a, se- a it's a series, but every docu- documentary series. is gonna exactly. 
Oh, I see. Yeah, so I watched the one, the episode about Britney. It's 90 minutes. I think people are calling it a movie. I don't know. Um, I mean, as a documentary, it's just okay. But the relevancy for people our age, I think, is pretty uh, remarkable. And I don't know when the last time it is that you revisited your... Um, you know, your relationship with Britney Spears. But for me, it had been <laughs> 10 years uh, or never, however you want to look at it. Uh, and with a 2020 lens, it's actually pretty, um, pretty remarkable. Like, you know, thinking about her as a young pop star, as a woman, um, the, the interviews that you see her go through, all the shit with JT, and then just getting a completely new, well, not, I mean, it's not like a, a different story, but just like a reframing or a representation of her whole breakdown is uh, pretty eye-opening, actually. Uh, I thought it was, um, I thought it was really interesting. I, I guess I'll say good, but sort of like with Judas and the Black Messiah, I think it's mostly just the content that's making it good, the story itself, um, versus, you know, the. I don't know, the craft. Um, but considering all the stuff that's going on in the news now with her conservatory, or I think I'm saying that right, um, mm -hmm. uh, definitely something to watch now. I, I do think I want to watch it, mostly because, unfortunately, a lot of my perspective on Britney Spears and her like public persona is shaped by that South Park episode. Where she gets harassed by the paparazzi and tries to kill herself and ends up blowing off the top half of her head. And then the rest of the episode, it's the boys like trying to save Britney, but like she's missing top part of her head. It's just her tongue. Like, oh, like, oh, Jesus. It's really bad. That's a lot of what my, you know, uh, my, as someone who was very much into South Park when I was a younger, shittier version of myself. Like right. that was hilarious and it, it makes fun of her, you know, it, it kind of tries to make her sympathetic, but it's also very much making fun of her. You know what yeah, I mean? But, I mean She's always the butt of a joke. You had a huge crush on her when you're in elementary school, uh, elementary school. And then I had a huge in, like, something. School, I'll tell you that much. Mm -hmm. And then when you were in high school, you went to the grocery store and you saw like people magazine and some picture of her, like with a shaved head looking crazy. Right. Yeah. yeah or like a uh, crotch, like a censured, censored crotch shot. Like Britney flashes her vag again, you know, like totally. Everybody <laughs> has these gross. experiences. So like going back when we were really stupid, we had zero critical thinking. We had zero access to anything, you know, information wise, aside from what we read while waiting for our mom to check out. Uh, you know, with the milk and the bread or whatever. Uh, right. So it's it's pretty illuminating. And, uh, I mean, Justin Timberlake has already come out and apologized after this was released for all the shit that he took. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's fascinating if for no other reason than to just uh, relive those years with a different perspective. I should, uh, I should, I should check it out. It's on Hulu, right? Uh, yeah. And I, I mean, of course, we don't know the whole story. Like we don't have access to every legal document and everything. But just looking at the facts of what a conservatory is designed for and what kind of life Britney leads today mm -hmm. will 
kind of blow your mind. Yeah. Like it's about, you know, it's designed for people who can't manage their finances and she makes tens of millions of dollars a year being a high performing professional. So like that, that's really all you need to know to know whether or not this is bullshit. Yeah. I, I mean, if I'm remembering correctly, I think I read on the internet a couple months ago that like her, her monthly allowance is like 1600 bucks or something like that. Like something crazy. Like she is literally like told what she can and cannot do. And is given like a very small, very limited access to her funds, you know, and her life is very much uh, dominated. It's her father, right? Who has conservatorship for her. Yes. So he lost conservatorship of her person. Um, so there's conservatorship of her person and of her finances. Mm. He still has her finances, I think. And oh, I see. he does, he lost, uh, conservatorship of her person. Right. Okay. And she's just saying, just have a bank be my conservator. That's all I ask. Just not my father. And that's what she cannot get. It's brutal. Free Britney. Hashtag free Britney. Free Britney. Oh yeah. I'm, I'm way on it. Way on the train for Brittany. <laughs> Very cool. Um, I watched quite a bit since we last recorded, but I'm not going to talk about everything. Um, I'm, I'll talk real quick about... Um, I watched uh, You Cannot Kill David Arquette at uh, Travis's recommendation. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty cool. Um, I, I did enjoy it. Uh, I did not know David Arquette was such a cool fucking dude, um, <laughs> but that guy rules. I want to hang out with David Arquette. Um, <laughs> um, it's kind of a sad movie um, when all a is said bit. and done. Kind of scary. Uh, there's some moments where you're like, you really should not be doing this, David, but it's it's captivating. Um, I will say it does kind of feel very overproduced. Like there, it kind of feels like this should have been like a, like a TV, like a, I don't know, like a, like a TLC two part special or something. You know what I mean? Like it, there are moments that feel very, very staged and overproduced that rub me the wrong way. Um, but there are a lot of moments of sincerity and I, I like the wrestling aspect of it. Like I never once questioned David's dedication it was more so uh i questioned the way that it was framed by the documentary you know and his wife is a producer on this thing so it, it kind of feels like they were uh orchestrating some of these uh these moments uh and they came across as pretty corny but you know there's some wrestler cameos i mean you got uh uh, you got the Woo Man himself. You got Ric Flair in there. You got Kevin Nash in there. Um, Luke Perry, which was a pretty interesting moment because it was like shortly before he, he died. Not shortly. It was like a year before he died or something where they, they you know, he's the one who takes uh, David to the uh, uh, the hospital after he basically gets his throat slit. Like, <laughs> there's some crazy stuff in here. Um, but as a fan of wrestling... Um, I found it very enjoyable. I think I gave it like a four, four stars. Yeah, four stars. Um, so thanks for the recommendation that I had never even heard of that until you brought it up on the the best of episode, Travis. So uh, oh, yeah. thanks for thanks for putting it on my radar. 
Did that, that make your top uh, 10 or was that an honorable right mention? Right up your alley. It was an honorable mention. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I would mostly cool. agree with what you said. But yeah, I just thought it was it was kind of fun and you know, you get some of the the backstory of him and his career in wrestling and you get some other little tidbits of wrestling and I don't know, it was somewhat inspiring as well. I also love the shot of him sitting in the giant chair. That basically oh, makes yeah. the movie right there. <laughs> yeah. Just it, it basically is showing that he will never grow up. And yeah, he's just, just a giant a, kid. A great little shot for the documentary. <laughs> Doesn't he seem like he'd be a ton of fun to hang out with, though? Oh, yeah. He seems well, like a cool guy. I don't know. I just feel like this documentary kind of like... Um, not like rights his wrongs, but just like, I don't know, gives him a little bit more respect because at least my perspective before watching the documentary was David Arquette's kind of a joke in the wrestling world and also his acting career, just the path it took. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he played a lot of like roles that, you know, basically just got made fun of. So this was some sort of like a redemption story for him and, I don't know. I thought it was pretty fascinating. Yeah, I agree. Um, what about you, Travis? What have you been getting, in, what have you been getting into? Um, I uh, Oh, I forgot to tell this at the top of the show, but something did happen the last two weeks. I reactivated my A-list subscription <laughs> now that uh, Washington, or at least my county, is in uh, phase two. So... Movie theaters are open at reduced capacity, and uh, I reactivated my A-list to go see Nomadland in Limax. Hell. Showing it in Limax, huh? Mm-hmm. I guess they got and nothing else to put in there, right? That's the best way to see it, <laughs> let me tell you. <laughs> uh, I did forget that this was going to be on Hulu very soon, so I probably won't say much because we might talk about it. Oh, I'm for sure why. I think it comes out in like episode. four days or something, I think. <laughs> uh, well, I loved it. Um, I liked it more than The Writer, uh, Chloe Zhao's previous movie. Uh, Frances McDormand is amazing in it. Um, it's mostly comprised of non-actors, similar to The Writer, except for Frances McDormand and... Maybe one or two other people. There's at least one other actor that I recognized. Um, but yeah, everyone's great in it. I think she plays off the non-actors well and vice versa. Um, it feels you know pretty authentic. And um, I would say I'm kind of a sucker for this type of movie. It kind of reminds me of Leave No Trace a little bit where the story kind of focuses on someone who decides to live their life a little differently than the rest of us. Um, I really liked the cinematography. I thought the, there's a lot of like clashing images, uh, I would say, um, throughout the movie, just of like beauty of the world and then just like the harshness reality of the world. Um, but yeah, I loved it. Definitely would have made my top 10 of 2020. Uh, I don't know exactly where, but I would say probably at least in the top three or five. So I wish I would have caught up with this one a little bit sooner. Just didn't really have the chance to do so. And I'll uh, save the rest for if we uh, talk about it together. Yeah, for sure. Maybe not as like a, we'll see if we do like a feature review, but definitely talk about it. 
Because Tom, you uh, you've been dying to see this thing too, right? Yeah. How how are we supposed to be able to see it without going to the theater? Uh, it's going to be on Hulu <laughs> in like a week or two. There we go. Same with uh, uh, Minari is coming to streaming sometime soon, I think. Mm. I'll have to double check that. But yeah, No My Land for sure is going to be. I think it's February 19th is when it comes to Hulu. So excited for that. Um, uh, Tom, anything else you've been watching? Uh, yeah, I've been watching one other thing on Netflix. Um, Pretend it's a city. It's the Scorsese produced. Um, I don't even know what to call it. It's just Fran Lebowitz talking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know how familiar you guys are with Fran Lebowitz. I know her uh, name, but I don't know much about her as a Yeah, person. I mean I've seen her on some talk shows and stuff. She's she's um you know, she's a personality. She mostly makes her money from public speaking. She was a writer back in the eighties and nineties, I think, and uh she famously has had writer's block for like twenty five years. <laughs> <laughs> she is seventy, she's like an old firecracker, she talks about old New York. Um, you know, she was friends with everybody in the artist community in New York back in the day. So she's got lots of great stories, but mostly she's just like a really crotchety old super liberal who hates every New York mayor and who, uh, you know, has complaints about the city and that it's too expensive and that people are on their phones today and shit like that. It's great. I love her. (laughs) She's hilarious like you i don't know if there's anyone in the world who fully agrees with fran Lebowitz on all of her opinions but uh i i think almost anyone can appreciate like who she is and um so there's 30 minute episodes it there's no real rhyme or reason it's just sort of her you know going around the city and talking about things and uh it's it's awesome so Scorsese directed all of this then? He produced it, pretty sure. Right? Yeah, I mean he's in it. Like he's they're old friends, so he's in conversation with her in a lot of it. He produced it, okay. I think I think he I don't think he directed it, but he was like one of the producers and he's in it, like Tom is saying. I had heard about this on a different podcast, but I guess I didn't realize it was on Netflix. For some reason I thought it was on HBO. Hmm. Yeah, it says he's the director oh, of the show. Sure he did. Maybe not yeah. every episode, but I, I'm know. I'm sure he is. I mean, it's it it's the same scenes every episode. So like, there's uh, a couple of different interviews taking place on stage. There's an interview they're doing in a bar. There's her walking around the city, and there's her in like this big uh, uh, kind of miniature of New York City um that you can like walk around in and every episode you're you're back at those same conversations they're just spliced up in different ways hmm. so is scorsese just uh netflix uh royalty at this point now yeah he's irishman pretend it's a city what's next for scorsese and netflix Matt, do you know? Is, are, like, are they producing his next movie? I don't even know what his next project is. I haven't really been. Uh, or was Pretend it's a City part of the Irishman deal? He said, "I'll make my movie on your platform if you let me do this documentary series about my friend here." 
<laughs> Who knows? I mean, maybe he just had a really good experience with because the Ir- part of the reason why the Irishman didn't happen earlier is because nobody wanted to fund it. And Netflix yeah. finally did it, you know, so maybe he's like grateful and has a really good working relationship with Netflix. I don't know. They just want content. They need it. So his next movie is going to be Killers <laughs> of the Flower Moon. What the fuck? The Osage Murders and the Birth of the FBI. Whoa. Sounds uh, neat. Scorsese. I don't know. I haven't been able to figure out yet if it's going to be Netflix. <laughs> Maybe uh, to be determined. A lot of the time, Netflix like buys shit after it's done. But Paramount Pictures, Oof. not it's probably going to be on uh, debuting on Paramount Plus. Oh, Apple TV <laughs> Plus production company. Oh. oh, barf! What? I don't. Wow. It, IMDb says that movie has a budget of two hundred million. So Jesus. Apple TV Plus is really. Uh, <laughs> Footing the bill on that one, everyone's throwing money God at Scorsese damn. to get him on their streaming their platform. platform. Damn, that's <laughs> crazy. <clears throat> cool, cool. DiCaprio. Oh yeah, and De Niro. Oh my god. Oh there yeah, go. De Niro and the Cap. <laughs> <laughs> the D team. It's gonna be huge. Damn. All right. Um, there's only. Th- well, four things I'm going to talk about, but very briefly, I don't have much to say about it because I'm kind of removed from it at this point, but I watched Ghost Dog, The Way of the Samurai. That movie is so Kick cool, you guys. So cool. I Now I understand why people like... Um, what the fuck is his name? Forrest Whitaker? No, Jim Jim Jarmusch. Oh. <laughs> I understand now why people like Jim Jarmusch because I, I like Only Lovers Left Alive, but I felt kind of cold watching some of his other movies. This movie, though, is fucking cool. And I don't know how it came about, how he came up with this idea, how it got made, but Forrest Whitaker plays like a gangster samurai, and it is just a cool, very slow um, samurai gangster movie, and it's rad. Killer soundtrack, Rizza's in it. Soundtrack by Riza. It's huge. Uh, very much enjoyed it. Very much enjoyed it. I'd yeah, that's it. my uh, favorite Jim Jarmusch movie that I've seen. It's a banger. Yeah, me too. I've seen four of his movies, I think. Um, I own Dead Man, but the one time I tried to watch Dead Man, I got bored after 10 minutes. So I was like, <laughs> yeah, I'll come back to this. Um, it does have some pretty good style, though, from memory. For oh, like yeah. a 90s movie, I feel like it holds up pretty well. Yeah, definitely. And some of the action stuff... You know, it feels weird calling it action, but there are action scenes in it, and mm-hmm. pretty cool. Um, Forrest Whitaker is a badass in the movie. I like, I think it's uh, pretty good. Um, and then I watched uh, Tape. Do you guys know what Tape is? Yep, I've heard of it. I haven't seen it. Mm-hmm. Tape is a Richard Linklater film, um, and I... I Knew it existed, but no one ever talks about it. And I think I was looking for something to watch and it popped up on Amazon. And I was like, oh, a Richard Linklater movie I've never seen. Let's check it out. And I was pretty impressed by it. It's um super low budget. Um, and like the name suggests, it's filmed on, 
I don't know what to call it. Tape, I guess. Tape. Like, like it, <laughs> it looks bad. It it looks horrible. Um, but it's it's one of these like it feels Only three, three performers in the whole thing, huh? Yeah, it feels like it should have been a stage production, right? Like it, it almost feels like it was adapted from a play. It's not, but feels or like no, no, it is a totally production. Is. Wait. Maybe done it is. 500 times <laughs> recorded for the last 15. So it's literally uh, Ethan Hawke and um, I'm trying to find the other guy's name. I just had it pulled up. It's Ethan Hawke and like an old high school buddy. He's played by this jabroni named Robert Sean Leonard. Um, and it's super riveting because the movie they're they're like reminiscing about high school and Ethan Hawke's character clearly has an ulterior motive but you never really know which direction the story is going to go because the character's motives are so ambiguous and it's it's really really effective um it's not like top tier link later by any means but just with such a low budget and three performers and such a basic concept for a film it really kept me guessing performances are a little over the top in particular ethan hawk who i love but there's a couple moments where he's just like this is like unhinged ethan hawk it's not like <laughs> like it's closer to something like uh the crazy moments in um uh, first reformed or like magnificent seven ethan hawk and less you know Boyhood Ethan Hawke or before yeah, the before the Magnificent Seven. Yeah, I saw it on a date and okay. it was horrible. <laughs> but my date, my date thought it was amazing. My date thought it was like the best movie oh, she's ever man. seen in her life. Uh, and it that was, was your last date. <laughs> it was no. Well, I don't really remember. It's been a while, but anyway, um, very good. I would recommend checking it out. All you link link heads out there. Um, I'm glad I finally caught up with this one. It's uh, No one ever talks about it, but pretty good. Pretty good. I'll be talking about it uh, every day for the rest of my life now. Sweet. Yep. yep. Travis? It. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I watched Malcolm and Marie, a uh, new movie on Netflix starring Zendaya and John David Washington. Yeah, I, I passed on it after the discourse. Uh, I gave it three stars as of now but i've changed my rating like four or five times on letterbox from two and a half to three i don't know if it really matters where i land um <laughs> but i am somewhat conflicted in how i feel about this movie not that i've been thinking about it every day or really care that much but i don't know there's parts of it that i liked and then there's parts of it that i just didn't really care for and then the whole idea of it i'm kind of mixed on where I don't even know if they really should have done it in the first place, um, but who am I to say, you know, who who creates what? So, um, I don't know. There's some good scenes in it, but then there's all. it also just, like, drags on way too fucking long. Like, it seems like a great idea for a short, short film, you know, like or the 20, stage. 30 minutes. Yeah, or that too. But um, <laughs> hour 40 or so, that's just too long. And you literally are just in the same house with the same two people. And this is a uh, early contender for uh, literally a roller coaster because that's exactly what it is. 
Um, <laughs> it it is literally a roller coaster. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you basically just you know you you uh, get to experience an hour and forty minutes or so of this couple um, arguing with each other, mostly disagreements, but they you know there's it's not all just one big argument but that's the majority of it i don't know i i just think it kind of just was too bloated for what it was trying to do for me to ultimately care get super invested in it yeah i heard you know that as a movie in general it's people are pretty conflicted on it but the disc a lot of the discourse has revolved around the age gap between John David Washington and Zendaya, because there's like a 12-year age gap between them. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't really want to like sit here and judge, but she does seem a little too young to be in a relationship with this guy. And also, just, yeah, she's in her like early 20s, and it just doesn't really seem like she would be that believable in that character or as mm. that character sure um and then the other side of the discourse is that the movie is written for you know these two black leads but the writer and director is white and not that there's anything inherently wrong with that but like specifically in some of the i mean i haven't seen it myself but there's been a lot of backlash against some of the uh conversations that occur in this movie that feel like a white writer trying to like be woke but coming across as like super shitty and condescending some of the shit that he makes john david washington say in the script like i don't know if this is all like i said this is all just twitter discourse that i'm i'm drawing from you know but yeah did you get that impression travis like does are there moments that feel like not like something this person would say like you can feel like the writer's hand forcing someone to say some of the things that malcolm's character says does that does that make sense Um, did you get that vibe at all from some of the the dialogue yeah maybe a little bit but i don't know i have a problem with some of that discourse just because i do feel like um actors collaborate with the director so who knows how much say or pull John David Washington had or even Zendaya had. Like, I feel like you or maybe some other people, <laughs> not not the same exact argument, but a similar argument for Waves. That's literally what by, I was thinking. Uh, yeah. And I don't think that's fair because I do feel like that was a collaborative experience and the black actors in that movie had a say or a role in the actual like you know dialogue or production of it or whatever capacity so i don't know if i fully like agree with that um but the the main thing that rubbed me the wrong way was just the yeah the idea of it because it's basically his response to like a negative review that he got and i just think it's kind of in poor taste for a director to make an entire movie um, as like a direct response to a negative review that they got. Like that just seems like a shallow yeah, <laughs> um, endeavor. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> totally. 
Um, what uh, this guy did something like one other th- oh ass ass nation nation right? Well, that's, that's Paris the movie, would say that's the movie that he's responding to essentially with this with movie. His reviews from yeah, ass ass nation. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, he's but the he Euphoria do, guy, right? Yeah, he's the showrunner for Euphoria, which I have seen, and I do really like Euphoria. Um, although part of it, I feel like, tries to be a little too edgy for its own good. Um, but I do, I do like it. I watched two episodes of Euphoria, and that's the impression I got was the show is trying too hard to be edgy. it's it's definitely trying (laughs) Uh, um, cool cool Uh, Tom did you have anything else or was it just uh, those two things just those two things Mm -hmm. Um, well I have two other things I'll mention Um, I watched Freaky 2020 film with uh, Vince Vaughn uh, you rent this? Yeah, Redbox. Yaley got it from Redbox. Mm, nice. Um, People still use those? Yeah, Redbox <laughs> rules, dude. <laughs> as long as you remember to return the disc. Um, so, like the title suggests, it's a it's a spin on f- the Freaky Friday concept. It's a it's a body swap movie um, with a horror spin. Um, it's, it's written and directed by the same guy who is responsible for the Happy Death Day movies. Um, which I don't like those movies particularly. They're fine. Um, They have fun moments. Freaky, though, is way more gruesome than I was expecting it to be. Part of the reason why I didn't love the Happy Death Day movies is because they're PG-13. So there's, like, implied kills, but you don't get to see, like, you know, the intestines being ripped open and the skin splitting, you know, the good stuff. Um, and this movie kind of feels like a direct response to that because it is gross. Like some of the kills are very graphic and very silly. And the movie in general is very silly and self-aware and, uh, very entertaining. Um, very, uh, obnoxious though. I ended up giving it a 3.5 because some of the dialogue is just, so annoying and some of the choices that the screen that happened in the screenplay very suspect but overall i thought it was super enjoyable um as like a self-aware kind of meta-ish horror film um very much enjoyed it that was freaky and the only other thing i will mention is that i watched coming to america for the first time in anticipation of coming to america have you, not seen it. Oh, have not seen it. Um, very, very overrated. Um, <laughs> did not find it very funny. Um, I do think it is interesting in some of its gender politics and and race politics. I thought were pretty interesting. And Charlie Murphy is 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 great in it. Arsenio Hall is great in it. But I just didn't find it very funny like it's this beloved comedy and i just found myself barely laughing um it's not as problematic as i thought it might be just being an 80s comedy that deals with you know this african prince coming to america i thought there would be more things that i would find cringy um which happy to report 
very few cringy moments, but I don't know. Super underwhelmed by it. I don't know what to expect from the sequel other than it's probably going to be garbage because it's <laughs> coming out <laughs> 32 <laughs> years after the first one. So, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll see. I'm going to watch it, but um, pretty underwhelmed by it. I, I, I laughed out loud maybe once. It's kind of long. Um, it's more like romance heavy than I expected it to be. Um, yeah. Disappointed, but still That's okay. Still okay. I, I gave it like a three out of five. I was planning on rewatch or not rewatching, but watching it in preparation for the sequel. Uh, we'll probably still do that, but it's disappointing to hear that it's disappointing. <laughs> I think you, you might like it a little bit more than me, but I would be very surprised if you if you came in. Like I think the ceiling on this for you. Not to say that like I I know you like you know I know what you're gonna say about a movie before you see it. I don't mean to imply that, but I feel like the ceiling on this thing is like a four. You know what I mean? Like I would be very surprised if you because I just don't know. I don't think it's that funny, and I feel what like is you there and I to love? we have <laughs> the three of us have pretty similar senses of humor, right? So I I can't imagine either of you watching this and just you know laughing your socks off, but. Um, I don't know. Maybe it'll surprise me. It's worth a watch, at least as a blind spot, you know, to the, it's a movie that is oh, iconic. You know what I mean? So, um, worth watching in that sense, I guess, but, uh, pretty underwhelmed two, by it. Two hour comedy, man. There's one thing the eighties got wrong. I know. Right. <laughs> who is, who is this? Judd Apatow? <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> Yeah, it should be like Porky. It should be like an eighty-two minute <laughs> runtime. <laughs> exactly. Um, okay. Well, that that's all I'm going to talk about. Um, anything You're not else? Talk about your your Valentine. Your Valentine best best comedy or rom com ever. Oh, I forgot that that was before we started recording. Um, <laughs> Valentine's Day watch. I watched When Harry Met Sally uh, for the oh, second yeah. time. I was I planning on uh, rewatching that last night, but I had to watch Judas instead. So thanks, oh, guys. Oh, bummer. Ruined Wait, Valentine's Day. You, you didn't watch a movie with Chelsea? Uh, we watched Judas. For Valentine's Day? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that's we had time to watch a movie at night, yeah, and I needed fair. to watch that. So Damn. We did watch I, Tanya earlier that day. But not, for, <laughs> not because it's romance. romantic by any means. <laughs> hey, she was she was on board. So. <laughs> I've been dying for a rewatch of that one too. Um, it's still a banger. Well, so when Harry met Sally, I had seen it once before, uh, not that long ago. I think I watched it in the time that we've been doing the show. Um, if not, you know, within the past four ish, four or five years, um, watched it again. First watch for Haley. Um, I fucking loved it. Like it might not only is it the best romantic comedy of all time, it's like an all-timer for me. I thought it was so funny and Meg Ryan and Billy Crystal are just so well written. Like Nora Ephron is the, the chemistry goat when it comes. Just the chemistry, Nora Ephron's screenplay is so sharp. Rob Reiner's direction, like there's like multiple like split diopter shots where they're like they watch Casablanca in their respective apartments. And there's like a scene where they do like a split diopter shot where it's like Billy Crystal in his bed right next to her, um, Meg Ryan, Sally's character in her bed. And just so funny and just heartfelt. 
The chemistry is through the roof. Just absolutely loved it. I cannot believe that this movie exists. And it's, <laughs> it's, it's 30 years old, but it's still the gold standard for rom- romantic comedies. It does not get better. Jesus. Matt, not trying to steal your thunder, but um, I don't have this logged on letterbox, and um, I would agree with pretty much everything you said. I'm surprised I don't have it logged. I'm kind of confused. I thought I, I'm pretty sure I've watched this since Letterbox has existed. Maybe I just discover an unlogged watch. Oh, I come man. across that from time to time. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing gets past me. You got a logger, <laughs> dude. You got to add it to the film, the film tally. Well, I've been dying to rewatch it, so I'll probably just rewatch it and log it then. But um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought I had it on here. Damn. So good. Absolutely amazing. Love it. Thanks for reminding me, Tom. I had forgotten that we talked about that right before we started recording. We were waiting for Travis. Well, it had to get its due. <laughs> good shit. All right. Well, anything else before we wrap this one up? Oh, not for me. Mm, no, I'm good. Cool. What's what's up next? Well, we'll probably talk about Nomad, Nomadland, I'm sure. Um who knows if it'll be a featured review or not, but um, I also plan on watching uh, Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar. Do you guys know what this is? Yeah, but I'm not spending $20 on it. Oh, no. Is this a $20 VOD release? Yeah. Ah, damn it. Well, if it's playing at AMC, I'll go see it. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, this is the oh, new right. new film from uh, Kristen Wiig and uh, Annie DeMulo, who they did the screenplay for Bridesmaids. So it's like, you know, it's another it comedy from those two. Funny. I don't really know anything about it, but people have I been saying it's, it's pretty funny. Like, What's doesn't look that good. Not into it. <laughs> I don't know. You know uh, how comedies are. They do all their best stuff in the in the preview. Yeah. They just ruined all all the best jokes. <laughs> yeah. Just like the just this, like uh, the nine eleven joke <laughs> in the big sick. Yeah. Just ruining the best joke. <laughs> How about this uh, Supernova movie? Oh, Supernova Apple TV. Oh, Colin Firth and Stanley Tucci. Yeah, that's in theaters right now. It looks pretty good. But I don't think we'll have easy access to it. If I that's love what Stanley you're, Tucci uh... so much. <laughs> There's also this uh, Korean uh, space movie I've been hearing some buzz about. Space Sweepers? Is this on your guys' radar? I don't know how no, we would watch it. Not at all. Really? <laughs> <laughs> Never heard of it. It's it's being yeah. compared to like Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, oh. But it's a Korean big budget like space film. And I don't know how to watch it. Um, but I've It's going to be on Netflix, big I think. And on the uh, poster, it is yeah, a big red end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's oh, why yeah. I saw it. Dude, it's I think it's uh out already. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it's on Netflix right now. It came out February 5th. Oh, why haven't I seen it yet? February 5th. <laughs> Feb 5th. Um, so it remains to be seen what we'll be covering. I think there's. I think we're forgetting something pretty big that's coming to either HBO Max or or Netflix. I can't recall. But, um, well, it, to be determined what the featured review is. But um, we will be back in a couple weeks reviewing something. Uh, it's going to be a good time. Thank you, everybody, for listening, sticking around. Um, please send us an email with uh, feedback, questions, 
discussion topics, whatever you got, Cinephiles Digest at gmail.com. Subscribe to our feed and whatever podcast app you use so you can stay up to date on all the latest podcast content we have in the Cinephiles Digest feed. That's going to do it. Thank you, guys. Talk to you later. Too much. Later. Later. things we done, I can only tell you what I saw. There was rain and soot. There were lovers and blood. And we learned how to feel in the cold. We never talked too much. But she held me in the dark. And the time used to stop in her hand. I could feel it go hesitant when it rained in Manhattan. We took shelter in a spare room.